You're listening to Dirty Feet, a dance podcast. I'm Allison Burns. For this episode of the Dirty Feet podcast, we're going to be talking about the Gomeshi effect, which is a verbatim dance theater piece on sexual violence in Canada. This is premiering in January at the Gladstone in Ottawa, and it will also be presented at the Shankman Arts Centre in Orleans, also in Ottawa, in February. So the Gomeshi effect was a project that was instigated by Jessica Ruano, who is the creator and director of the work. And uh, Amelia Griffin is the choreographer of the piece, who uh, we spoke to during our uh, first episode covering the Dark Horse Dance Project. So in this context, we're actually going to be talking to Amelia about her own work. So we're going to get a different perspective there. So first of all, I'm going to say hello, Jessica. Hello, Amelia. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Allison. Hi. Thanks for having us. Wonderful to have you back, Amelia. And it's great to have you, Jessica. Uh, Let's take a a quick moment to talk about uh, your backgrounds as artists. So Jessica, you have a master's of... uh, Theater theory and dramaturgy. It's a mouthful, I know. My goodness. And uh, you've, you've been working in, in Ottawa for quite a while, but you've also presented work uh, abroad. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the places that you've presented? Sure thing. Um, so when I was working in Ottawa during university and shortly afterwards, I was mainly focused on arts journalism and marketing. So I worked for a few different companies promoting their work. And I also did uh, theater reviews and uh, some event organizing. Uh, but I think I realized some point that I really wanted to create my own work. Um, And that's sometimes difficult to do when you've been in a city for a long time and people know you in a certain way. And so I decided to to try moving to London, England, because, you know, the theater scene is is amazing there. And I wanted to learn from from the artists there and, and try to reinvent myself. So I moved to London somewhat spontaneously. And when I got there, I just told everybody I was a theater director and that I was one. And I started, I joined a company, started producing with them, and then eventually um, directed my own work. Um, and the first play I directed in England was called Sappho in Nine Fragments about the ancient Greek poet. And I realized that I really enjoy uh, physical theater pieces with potential for movement and interaction and really using the space, which is why I, I'm very drawn to doing uh, this play as well, which involves choreography. And, uh, and then I moved back to Ottawa just this past year. And I think since I've been back, there's been so much discussion around uh, sexual violence and how it affects people on a long-term basis and, and how when we try to engage with, um, with these systems, how they don't always work in the way that we expect. So this was uh, why I wanted to embark on this project. You've also... Uh got a history with the Fringe Festival, and I'm bringing this up because we've done a lot of Fringe Festival coverage on Dirty Feet, and you've actually been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which yeah, is Yeah, that's right, with, with the same show, Sappho and Nine Fragments, uh, and presented in London originally, came to Canada, we were at the Ottawa Fringe Festival, and then we also went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We had a short run there, but it was uh, it was chaotic, as Edinburgh, I think, is, is want to be, and uh, it was a really, really great learning experience. And you also wrote a thesis about touring shows, yes? Yeah, I did. That was part of my master's. And it was just an excuse to travel across Canada, really. I just thought, oh, yay, this is my, this is my excuse to go and speak to amazing theater creators and, and go see festivals. So I went uh, from Vancouver all the way back to Toronto and uh, got to write about some amazing companies doing, doing work across Canada. Can you tell us the most surprising thing that you learned doing that? 
Oh, yeah, good question. I think that this is kind of what my thesis was about, but sort of how much marketing can actually influence the way that theater is being created. That sort of was what my conclusion was in the end, is that the way that we talk about our work uh, actually affects the way that people understand it in the viewing of it. So I feel like the conversations that we have around a production, it's not just going to see a play, it's about you know, the, the, the images you see beforehand and the conversations you have on the radio and, and uh, the way that you interact with your audience before and after the show, all of that really counts towards like the full experience of, of theater. And so that to me was something that I've, I've taken with me in, in continuing to create work. And that's going to be, uh, um, important for this conversation we're going to have because you've you've been doing some very interesting things in terms of marketing the Gomeshi effect and I'm sure that's going to as you're as you're as you're theorizing it's going to change how people react to the to the production itself yeah I think so I mean in a sense maybe it sounds weird to some artists but for me marketing is actually part of the direct directorial concept for me it's very like very much intertwined so in terms of your, your history of creation, is this the first time that you're collaborating with a choreographer on a physical theater piece? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. So new territory. Yes. Because as much as I enjoy working with movement, I realize that my experience is limited in that. And for this piece, I wanted the choreography to really have, um, to be front and center of the piece. And I'd seen Amelia's work and loved it. And I knew that she'd be a good person to, to bring on board for this project. Transitioning to Amelia Griffin, uh, who is a choreographer and performer, and you've been a very active performer here in Ottawa for a while now, um, dancing for Tara Luz Dance, who we've covered uh, in our episodes Mm, with Amanda Vaughn and our episode with Anik Bouvray. My buddies. Yes. (laughs) And also uh, with Propeller Dance, uh, the Integrated Mm -hmm. Contemporary Dance Company, and with Dorsal Dance, uh, Mm -hmm. run by Sylvie Desrossiers. Yeah. and you've been creating your own work, so you've been very busy in the dance industry. A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is your your history of choreographic creation? Well, I um, I mean, I would say, as you mentioned, you know, I've been I've been creating and performing, but I would say that the majority of my artistic practice has been performing, or more performative in nature. Um, so. My history is predominantly in self-choreographed solos. Um, so the first one that I did out of school was actually my, my, my graduating year solo that got picked up by um, um, this show that was happening, Choreographe d'ici, at La Nouvelle Seine, um, way back in 2006 or something like that. Um, so I presented that there and... Um, I went away to Montreal for a while with big dance dreams and kept getting injured. <laughs> and, um, so while I was there, I kept coming back to Ottawa to do, um, to do work with folks that really supported where, wherever I was at. And that includes Annick Bouvrette and that includes Sylvie. I wish uh, Big Dance Dreams was the name of a company. Well, we can do this, Alison. Yes. <laughs> the future is endless. 2017. <laughs> hey, we're going to do it. Um, so when I, when I actually made the decision to come back here, one of the first things I did was present a um, self-choreographed solo. And it was sort of the 
I guess the start of me digging into my experience as a woman in this world, uh, it was based around uh, my experience of miscarriage. Um, and that had a really big impact and, and got me con- contacted and connected to a lot of really good folks here in Ottawa. Um, and then I wanted to give myself time to work on um, different iterations of this project called Feelers, um, which is actually where Jessica saw my my choreography. But it's had three iterations, and the first one was with um, Kay Kenny and Catherine Ng and Jeff Dallar and Melissa Roy, who dances for Tarlus Dance, so a nice little cast. Um, and that was really brush à fouet, like we say, um, connected to just um, um, a gallery's a gallery opening in a guerrilla magazine um, which is a underground arts and culture magazine which is really awesome and that may it rest in peace because it was wonderful um, but it was for that launch and then um, the next iteration um, I actually did for dark horse dance projects um, and then the third um, part I did as a um, 30-minute piece as a part of Tactics, um, independent. Um, wow, you can really speak better to this because Jessica was <laughs> in marketing for Tactics, but um, independent uh, theater series here in Ottawa. So, yeah, I would say that I would say that once I came back to Ottawa, it sort of gave me um, the time and space to dig into to issues that really affect me personally and how to navigate putting that real shit on stage. Um, because Feelers is really about my experience of, my experience and the performer, performers, because we did work quite a lot in collaboration, of street harassment and sexual harassment in um, public spaces. Um, yeah, and again, that's where Jessica saw my work. So I've definitely had more performative um work than choreographic work so it really means a lot to me to dig into a a bigger project and this would be your first collaboration in in this realm yeah yeah and so you know feelers was really what I see as dance theater um but then this is sort of more well it's dance theater but it's work yeah it has a script and um first time working with a theater director uh in this way so it's really exciting for me in speaking about your your work, we've also understood that you have a personal connection to the kind of concept of this work. Um, so let's talk about the title and let's mm-hmm. dive right into what uh, is going on with the Gomeshi effect, what the Gomeshi effect is and how you're approaching it with the piece. Mm-hmm. I'll say a little something because um, of, of, you know, it's um, inception was really through Jessica, um, but what, how she was approaching it and what was, what the, um, the nature of it really spoke to me. So, and I think it's noting that um, the Giongo Meshi trial was a really stark moment in our Canadian history of understanding that perhaps our justice system doesn't support um, survivors adequately. Um, and that's, you know, also an opinion. But um, I think I'm, when I was observing all of that, I was really... Um, I was. I felt really let down. Uh, I myself, as a survivor, um, felt like it was um, something needed to be done. And I think also from that point uh, and from that trial, 
one sort of benefit of that was that people actually started talking about sexual violence um, online, on the street, with their families. It, it just opened up this huge capacity for conversation. And my reason to, to really go um, along with Jessica on this is also because I really, not just, you know, oh, it would be great to make a piece with a theater director, but um, I really do believe um, in continuing that conversation and not necessarily... Um, always from my point of view, like I want to talk to people about, about sexual violence and the more we talk about it, the more it's out there and the more that, uh, um, yeah, people can be supported um, and we can perhaps try to change um, how our justice system works so that it's, uh, you know, lives up to the justice part of that. Um, but that's all I'm going to say for the time. I'm going to say for I, I, I think it might be appropriate just for that one listener who's been living under a rock to just point out that, that Gian Gameshi was the host of CBC's Q and was um, accused of sexually assaulting sexually multiple assaulting, people. Yes. And there was something like 14 different people coming forward. 19. 19, excuse me. 19 people came out of the woodwork. He lost his job. He went to trial and he was found not guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, he was found. He had, there were two trials. Well, there were supposed to be two trials. The first one, uh, three women were put on the stand, and in that trial, he was found not guilty. Um, the reason giving that they, the judge felt that the witnesses, as in the women who came forward, uh, were not reliable witnesses. That was that was his perspective. And the second trial that was supposed to happen actually ended with a peace bond. So Gian Gameshi. Uh, apologized for wrongdoing without admitting guilt. It's an interesting little, I don't know if we can call it a loophole in the legal system, but it's, uh, it's one way that you can go, you can avoid having a trial and that the, the person who feels they've, um, the, who, who, the, who's been a, who has been the, the victim or the feels they, they are the victim of a crime can at least receive an apology. But there, and and I think uh, he has to stay away from her for a year. There's a rest, um, restraining order, um, but otherwise, no punishment was given beyond that. Um, yeah, so it's been very interesting to talk about um, the legal system in the sense of uh, you know whether or not people feel he committed these crimes. Um, that's on one side. And then the other, the other side is the credibility of witnesses and how that affects the outcome of a trial. So it could be said that, yes, he committed these crimes, but the witnesses weren't considered credible. And so he gets off even though it's possible that he was guilty. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I can't say guilty because that's a legal term, but that he committed these crimes. So it kind of begs, like, begs the question of, you know, if that's the case, then how do we feel about the outcome of these trials if they don't actually reflect the reality of the situation? And these are questions that we explore in the text quite, um, quite a lot because uh, you know we we spoke to a lot of people who have uh, engaged with the justice system and have received a, a variety of results based on that. And and something that's come out of this too is just how many uh, sexual assaults just go unreported because uh-huh. of the re-traumatization of the trial process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to really delineate and be really clear with the fact that we aren't really interested in um, talking about Giango Meshi because that trial happened. And what we really see is that that trial happened. People woke up to the fact that maybe... Um, 
maybe the justice system isn't doing what they feel that they would need from that. And because Gian Gomeshi was a celebrity, it kind of got, you know, it got covered by media and it became clear. Um, but what we're really interested in talking about is the effects of that trial. And I think that's a really important thing for us to, to note that um, the Gomeshi effect was actually coined by um, the media and different news outlets um, describing this phenomena of survivors um, and just you know, um, non-survivors coming forward to to open up this conversation and to talk about sexual violence on a larger scale. Um, and for us, you know, we saw hashtags like been raped, never reported, um, hashtag uh, we believe survivors. Safer campus, campus now, exactly. Jessica's all, all, <laughs> all good with the, the hashtags and her marketing-ness. Um, <laughs> But um, so so we really, you know, what we're focusing on was, okay, well, if this happened, um, if this happened on a larger scale, then there must be countless, endless stories all around us. And if you look at the statistics, um, there's just, uh, you know, it's uh, rampant in our culture, um, different iterations of sexual violence. Um, And so what we wanted to do was interview folks who, um, from all different walks of life, um, from intersecting intersecting communities, um, from people who are in the justice system, work in the justice system, from people who are survivors, for people who don't believe that rape culture exists, to just really a broad understanding um, to sort of... um, mirror or um, give space for that conversation to come onto the stage. And so we didn't write anything in the script. It all comes from, you know, as verbatim implies, um, it all comes from um, stories from real folks. And and part of the reason that uh, we wanted to take that approach is that we recognize that we have, or each of us, have a perspective on these issues and that, you know, we are... Uh, women, we are white, we live in Canada, we have uh, a certain perspective based on our environment and our circumstances, and we believe that uh, sexual violence doesn't just happen to one kind of person, it happens to all kinds of people, uh, men, women, people who don't belong um, to a gender binary, and uh, from all different cultural backgrounds, and so we try to you know, spread ourselves uh, to be able to have all different voices and perspectives on this subject, so to make our our show as as encompassing as possible. Right. So let's talk about the process of putting this together. So where do you source these interviews, and where do you go from there, from getting them to yeah. making a production? Well, right after the Gomeshi verdict came out, I figured that would be a good time to start interviewing people. Uh, because it was something everybody wanted to talk about. And so um, I just posted on Facebook saying that I was starting this project and anybody who wanted to uh, talk to me was welcome to get in contact. So there were certain people who I knew would have interesting things to say and I contacted them directly. But for the most part, people got in contact with me and just said, I have a story I want to share. Can we get together and talk? Um, or some people recommended friends of theirs whom I want to talk to me. So I, I actually met some people through this process, met some amazing people who I'm now, um, you know, in, quite in contact with, which is fantastic. And, uh, and what I would do generally is I would say, even if I didn't know them, I would say, this is my address, come over. We would sit on my sofa, we would have tea and cookies. And then I would, uh, we would just start chatting. And eventually I would say, can I record now? And if they said yes, I would press record on my computer and I would record our 
exchange. And I tried to speak as little as possible. I would just ask a question here or there, but mostly I encouraged people just to, just to talk. As much as they wanted, they were allowed to ramble, they were allowed to monologue, uh, because sometimes the most interesting ideas come when you're not you know, planning too much and you're not giving short answers. You're letting yourself develop ideas. And, and there were some amazing stories that came out of that. So the script became both anecdotal and informative and sort of a dialogue. There's some parts that are quite catchy that are just like ideas being thrown out there. So it's, it's quite diverse in that way. Um, and so I interviewed uh, 40 people over the course of a few months and um, most of the interviews are in the script, at least in part. Um, and so it was, it was difficult trying to trim it down because there were so many amazing stories that I couldn't include just because, you know, we can't have a play that's four hours long. Um, and we so would love to. we would love to, maybe, maybe a second iteration. We'll see. But just, just for the actors, I think that might be a little bit hard <laughs> to be dancing and doing all this. Um, but yeah, so, so we kind of, uh, and Amelia was, was instrumental in this and looking at the interviews and seeing, okay, well, like, what do we want to include? What's a priority? Is there a, is there a good narrative arc going on here? Um, is it engaging? All that kind of stuff. And then we also discussed, sort of design ideas and movement ideas. And while I, while I was working on the script, Amelia was working with the performers on, um, on movement ideas and just sort of getting, getting certain movements into their bodies. And so we did a workshop weekend that focused on that. And so we've kind of been doing the movement and the text concurrently through this whole process with the workshop weekend in July and then with some workshopping style rehearsals over the, uh, the last few months. We just meet like a couple of times a week with some of the actors and work on things. And then we start into the serious rehearsals in, uh, in January. And let's talk uh, for a second about this cast. You've got six cast members. They're so beautiful. Like, we're just, we, when we had the auditions, we're like, we're, like, we're so lucky. We are so lucky. <laughs> I, I really do have to just note that, like, you know when you see someone on stage and they're, you just can't take their, your eyes off them and they're just wholly engaging and you just, you just want to be, all of the cast members are like that. And we just... I, I we're blown away by by even just you know the response of folks who wanted to come to the come to the rehearsal. Um, sorry to the auditions. So anyway, sorry. Say we, I just had to well, say that because yeah, no, we we could have cast great. the play twice really, but yeah. we're super happy with the people that we got. And there there's a variety of backgrounds here in terms of movement information. There's a lot of theater training, and there's even some again like personal connections to kind of. Um, being proactive about um, women's rights. Absolutely. Yeah, many of our members have been involved in organizations. Um, one of them worked for a rape crisis center. Um, a lot of them found work in this. And so we, we tried to engage people for whom this was somewhat personal because, because of the level of engagement in this show. It's not just putting on a play. Like we've invited them to... Uh, to take part in community events, to do their own research, to, 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 you know, share with us if they want to share their stories. Like that's all very much part of this process. Um, we've also gone into high schools to speak to students because we feel like this is a conversation that needs to happen early on and that high school students have a lot to say on this subject. So it was great to have actors who, um, had a personal connection. So they were willing to engage on this level. And I think it's, it's something to be said too is that, they're all actors who are extremely sensitive um, to the subject uh, matter, um, but also very mature in how to handle and work with um, 
other people's stories that are from real people. Um, and I think that that's, um, our process has really been, um, or, so I'm also a yoga therapist. And so part of my brain was also, how do we make these rehearsals non-traumatic? Um, and how do we invite, um, a way to work that's supportive, um, you know, co-supportive environment, um, so that when we do come to parts that are, because there were at the beginning some moments when the script was coming together where it's just, uh, you know, we're all just sat there in silence. Because what do you say? You know, when you're hearing someone's story for the first time, and Jessica and I had seen them, but, you know, when you give it to the cast. And um, so there's definitely was a lot of opportunity to talk through things and figure out how to, how to best approach um, the sensitive nature of this work. And I think that's just something that I really appreciate with working with actors as well, folks who aren't necessarily movement-based except for Leah Archambault, um, is how to bring that sensitivity, bring that emotion, and bring that real um, connection to other humans into the body. And that's where we can work through things um, concurrently to the, to the text. Cool. So we've got uh, Leah's name on record. Let's give a shout out to Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we also have Macandre uh, Charrette, who um, has been active for a long time in uh, French theater over in um, Gatineau Hall. Uh, he's incredible. He actually did a, a piece with Lana Morton, who's one of the Ottawa Dance Directive Chicas. What's up? Lana Morton. Um, and that's where I first saw him. So he's an incredible mover and is very used to mixing dance and movement. Um, we have Annie Lefebvre, who's also from um, the French theater land. And I actually know her from um, when she was doing the hosting of Dust Dances uh, for Ottawa and was just so hilarious. And we got along really well. Um, but that's my personal connection. She's also an incredible um, actor in the city. Um, we have Léa Archambault, who's um, done quite a bit of uh, dancing, contemporary dance. Um, and is also part of punk rock, like, screamy, like, her, I think her band was called UTI. Just amazing. <laughs> amazing, you know, feminist screamer. Um, <laughs> so we love that. Um, there's also Emmanuel Jean-Simon, who's um, a local and wonderful uh, jazz singer and just a very deep soul. Um, and also worked with Jessica on, what was it? Uh, we worked together in a play 10 years ago called Québécité, which was, uh, um, how do you say, um, a bilingual multicultural jazz romance with spoken word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's how we, I actually picked him up when he was working at The Gap and was like, hey, do you want me to play? <laughs> and he was great. So it was, it was a pleasure to have him audition again this time. Uh, we also have uh, Gabrielle Lalonde, who um, I've, I've seen for years working in Ottawa, both on the French and English side. Um, most recently, she's been doing work with the Ottawa Stilt Union and does amazing work, uh, usually in parks or events across Ottawa. And uh, was also in shows at La Nouvelle Seine recently. Um, and then uh, we also have uh, Mekdes Teshom, who I saw over the summer in a Company of Fools show, Pericles, thought she was amazing, and uh, and picked her up for the cast. Also, I just think it's worthy to note that she's Ottawa's first Black Juliet, and that that's amazing. Yes. And that was also at the Gladstone. She did a fantastic job. So everyone's just like super powerhouse folks. 
So uh, let's talk about this, some of this cast engagement projects. Um, the, the one I'm thinking of is is the interviews over over by the like the bridge in Somerset. Oh yeah, that's right. We made a video. That was yeah. so much fun. You know, we were planning to go to the market, and then we're like, oh, people are talking to us on the bridge. Let's just stay here. It's a beautiful environment. So, so you want to describe what the what the project was? Yeah, like basically, we wanted to go around and say to people, what is the Gameshi effect, and just see what they said. And most people had some pretty decent answers. So as you can see in the video, um, people had plenty to say on the subject. And, and, and that also, you know, if you're listening carefully, the opinions or the, 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 the statements are quite mixed. You know, some people are like, you know, what, what is it? I think the one guy's like, well, everybody agrees on that. And then the other woman's like, oh, so divisive. And then it was, yeah, so it's kind of all over the place, which I think is kind of fun. So I, I, like, I like that it was that it, it kind of, I think, proved our point in a sense that the Gameshi effect is something that everybody has a different opinion about what it actually is. Um, so yeah. you can see this video on on the Gomeshi effect, uh, dot com. It's uh, Leia going around and asking people what is and, the And Nectus as well. Yeah, the two of them. We're kind of circling back towards marketing and the title of the show being mm-hmm. a really um, engaging thing that people have a reaction to, um, which in the Twitterverse yeah. has led to to what uh, mean tweets basically. And you yeah. decided to capitalize on We got, we got on a this. few, a few, several hundred <laughs> mean tweets. Yes. Can you describe what you brilliantly did with the, all this negativity yeah. being thrown at the Gomeshi effect? Well, it was one of those things where like, it came to me by surprise. I actually got a call from um, Councillor Catherine McKenney's um, office manager, and she said, have you checked Twitter today? And I said, no. And uh, because, because they'd also been copied on quite a few of them because uh, we went to visit Catherine McKenney to talk about our project and took a lovely photo with her and put it on Twitter and... It was all like very wonderful and supportive, and um, and so, and also, I'd recently applied for a grant, um, and I had mentioned that online. They're like, "Oh yeah, I'm finished my grant for the show," and s- several people all at once started uh, posting about it and saying, "You know, um, how how dare these people get taxpayers' money for funding their defamation project?" Um, because from their perspective, uh, using uh, the title that we chose, they believed that we were, um, you know, basically a libelous against Xi'an Gameshi. Um, again, I, and I've argued this uh, plenty of times that uh, I feel that we are reflecting a phenomenon that already exists in the media, and we are using the title because people know, like, if you say the title, people know what the show is about, and that's kind of the point of a title. And I, you know, I kind of racked my brain for different titles that we could use. And this one just seemed the most topical, the most appropriate, and the most engaging, and the most straight to the point. So that's why we chose it. Um, but yes, there are several people who uh, were very adamant that uh, he was not guilty of any crimes. Um, again, besides the point, but that was, that's, that's where they were coming from. And, uh, and, and therefore believed that our show was created to be, you know, basically that we were out to get him. And, and so they, they came to a lot of conclusions about that very quickly and made a lot of assumptions. And although we tried to engage uh, peaceably with them and try to you know, explain things from our point of view, uh, they didn't seem to listen. And they were very intent on uh, you know, uh, spreading rumors about me, uh, saying that I was spending the money on going on holidays. They made memes about me. Um, they were like using past tweets I'd written and, and, and you know, twisted them around to make me seem like a certain kind of person. 
And uh, yeah, and it was it was uh, overwhelming. You know, there was there was no one tweet that was particularly offensive to me. Well, I can name a couple, but it was it was the sheer number of them. It was I was getting them every single day, both on my personal account and on the Gameshi Effect Twitter account. And uh, and I think it was just it was it was a little bit heartbreaking to think that we were putting all this work into this project that we really believe in and that people were so adamantly against it. Um, and so we thought, you know, let's let's talk about this. Let's bring what's happening to us to the forefront and create an event wherein we actually read aloud many of the tweets we've received and make it into a fundraiser because, um, you know, that's always useful when you're putting on a show. And so we... Yeah, they they did tell us to fundraise, actually. They're like, you shouldn't be getting grants. You should fundraise on your own. And I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. Thank you for that. And so we organized an event at the Gladstone, and we had some wonderful actors from the community uh, play the roles of the trolls, as as we call them. And and sometimes they played themselves if they got engaged in the conversation. And then we had a nice back and forth, and we had a discussion afterwards with Hollaback Ottawa, which is a fantastic group that works to uh, to use online technology to uh, battle street harassment and uh, and more recently online harassment and so we had a great chat with them and sort of like discussed possible solutions ideas safe places and it was just a really great way of getting it out there um, and then we also made as you can see on our website a mean tweets video where we had some of our uh, actors uh, reading aloud some of the tweets we received along the lines of the Jimmy Kimmel stunt that he does so. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to do, and it kind of it was a way of us just making lemonade out of lemons. So we've spoken about how the work got put together and how the work's being promoted. Let's talk about what we can expect to see as an audience member walking into the Gladstone or the Shankman Arts Center next year. So we're at a point right now where you know we we mentioned we had the workshop weekend, which um, for me was really a, a time to um, have the actors or you know. And predominantly, most of them are are, are text based, um, with a little bit of movement. Um, but I needed them to understand um, how I function or how a contemporary choreography gets made. Um, and it was really um, trying to engage them through their own creativity and, um, as Jessica mentioned, through some of the words that were going to be used in the play. Um, so generating movement um, together. And having them understand my world a little bit, a little bit better. Um, and then through the fall, as there were the workshops um, or workshop style rehearsals, um, we were able. To, I was able to uh, create a little bit more of the movement material, or you know, look at what was already being built in the text and figure out with Jessica and with the actors like what uh, requires many people on stage, what requires just one person on stage, you know, and just sort of framing it like that. And then recent uh, rehearsals, we've you know blocked the show and put in that movement, put in those, um, those, um, duets, trios. Um, I guess what you, what you can expect to see is, um, where text and movement exist in equal measure on stage. Um, so what we're really trying to do is find that, um, equality of, um, of both the visceral and of the, of the body-based conversation as well as the text um, continuing the narrative forward. And I think what's something that we haven't quite said yet um, and something that's really important for me to, to, to mention is how 
trauma, and I, maybe I did uh, mention it earlier, but how trauma um, is inherently a part of all of this work. Um, and a part, obviously a huge part of sexual violence. And I think what was really hard for me after, in my conversations after the Gomeshi trial was, well, trauma has no, um, specific way of presenting itself. And so anyone who might come to trial, it's really hard to, um, anticipate or expect a survivor to act a certain way, given that they're in a post-traumatic situation. Um, and while an experience will happen to, you know, your mind, it'll also happen to your body. And how do we, or, you know, I guess part of my, what I see as my work is how to represent um, both trauma, um, the effects of trauma in this play um, and of these folks, or, you know, or, or not. Um, and how do we, how do we use... Um, plurality? How do we use uh, a lot of folks on stage? How do we use um, a minimal amount of space um, to really get that sense of maybe being alone or maybe um, how the crowd can turn against you or how, you know, these sort of um, representing what happens in our online and in-face conversations um, through the movement material. I think, I mean, it's difficult to, uh, to say what an audience will experience because it'll be different for, for every individual. But, um, I've seen work like this where movement and text are combined. And I found that as an audience member, often, uh, the text would speak to me intellectually and emotionally, but the movement would kind of get to me viscerally. And I think, especially when we're doing a show about sexual violence, it's so, appropriate in a way to make this a piece that has movement and choreography because it's so much about the body and how it affects the body and how the body responds to these things. And so I think that people may be surprised by their reactions to this and that uh, the it's, it's really interesting to see how when we're developing the movement, how it can complement the text, how it can contradict it, how it can give you a different perspective without actually using words. I think that the combination of these things is tremendously effective. And we're still creating this show, so I'm curious myself to see where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, and I think I just, on top of that, want to note that when Jessica first came um, to engage me with this project, um, our common place and where we keep sort of um, referring back to as... Um, I don't want to use... Well sort of inspiration, I suppose, is a deviate physical theater company in the UK, which we're both really deeply, deeply in love with um, and in love with their work. And so this is sort of our way of creating that style of show for Canada and for a Canadian story. That is definitely worth a Google. There's some videos out there. Google them. DV8 with a D and then a V and then the number eight. We're about ready to wrap it up. Uh, if you want to learn more information about the Gomeshi Effect, thegomeshieffect.com is a primary resource. They're also on at Gomeshi Effect on Twitter. Uh, you can look them up on Facebook as well, the Gomeshi Effect. Instagram. Instagram. You got it covered. We're everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Amelia Griffin and Jessica Ruano from the Gomeshi Effect, which is opening in Ottawa at the Gladstone Theatre in January and also being presented at the Shankman Art Centre in February. 
And then we'll see. Uh, any final words? I just want to say, well, thank you to you for having us here. Um, and, you know, obviously this is part of continuing the conversation. So we really appreciate any any folks who are reaching out and um, really airing out these topics because I think it's a way to help move things forward in a positive way. Um, and just in general, you know, thanks to everyone who's who's uh, been involved in this project because it's bigger than us, really. Um, and we hope that... Um, yeah, we just hope that what we're doing with it um, really gets people thinking, questioning, um, and coming together in support of one another. Yeah, I think also um, I know that some people who I've shared the script with, I, I belong to a playwrights group, and we've taken the, some scenes into high schools, and they've they've said things like, oh, I wasn't sure if I would you know, enjoy this because of the heavy subject matter, or I thought it might be traumatizing or things like that. Um, but they said that the way that we present the work and the way that it's expressed in the text and the movement actually makes it incredibly engaging. And I would just say, if you have those reservations, you know, feel free to contact us directly. We're very happy to talk about it, to show you pieces of the script in advance if you have any, you know, concerns about that. Um, and I'd say just give it a chance because I think it'll surprise you. You've been listening to Dirty Feet. I'm Alison Burns with a few thank yous. First to Paula Flalo and the No More Radio Network. Also to Mainline Theatre and Montreal Improv Theatre. And to all present and past team members who can be found on our website, dirtyfeetpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. Thank you for listening. Until next time.